0: For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The Word of the Lord. Thank you, Rebecca, for reading that. I like your jacket, too. It says, Librarian family librarian. Uh, I have to hear more about that. Anyway. All right, this message this morning is part two in a four-part series for the season of Advent, where we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. We read it last week. We'll be reading it uh, two more times uh, this Advent season. And if you look at that text again, you'll see it's a very fitting summary for the Advent season. As it begins, Jesus's story With his pre-existence as God in verse 6. And then it moves to his becoming man. His first coming. As it says, he took on or is born in the likeness of humanity. There in verse 7. And then it tells us he lived a life of humble obedience. Dying on a cross, verse 8. And then finally being exalted to present and future glory. Verses 9 through 11 which will be fully seen and acknowledged at his second coming. If you look at that summary, it's a fantastic summary of Christianity in six verses. I don't know if there's a better, more compact summary in all of the Bible. This is the story of Jesus Christ. And if you look at verse 5, verse 5 is telling us, this is also our story as well for all those who trust in and follow Jesus. I know we're jumping right into this text in this um, part of the book of Philippians without having looked at the, the larger context of the letter. The reason that Paul put this summary here in this letter is given in verse 5, where he says, adopt this same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. The attitude or mindset of Jesus Christ that we see play out in his story, verses 6 through 11. Paul is saying, for Christians, we are to have the same attitude. To be a Christian is to have the same attitude or mindset as Jesus Christ. And to see this attitude play out in our lives and in our stories. Mainly at verse 6, our attitude toward power. This morning we'll be focusing on verse 7 mainly, our attitude toward being a servant. If we define attitude the same way that we did last week, I don't have the slide this morning, but I'll say it out loud. Attitude is what does it mean to have an attitude or what does that uh, entail? It means our mindset. It means our way of thinking, our practical disposition toward life. Or, this was the definition I shared last week, our settled way of thinking and or feeling about someone or something that is reflected in our behavior. So if that is what it means, uh, if that's what attitude is, then let me ask all of you this morning, how do you think and feel about the idea of being a servant? What's your attitude towards that, about living out the story of a servant. Before you answer, notice I didn't say, what's your attitude towards serving other people or serving others or doing service? That's different. That's not exactly what this text says. It says, Jesus took the form of a servant in verse 7, which means the same thing that it meant back in verse Six about Jesus having the form of God, meaning he was fully God. He was, uh, in his being, equal in every way, sharing all the nature and characteristics of God. So to be taking on the form of a servant means more than just doing acts of service. It means becoming a servant, which is a whole other level altogether. As you're considering the question, how do I think and feel about being a servant, to make it even more... Unappealing or unattractive as you're thinking about that. The word servant here in verse 7, if you have a different version, you'll see this, maybe more accurately should be translated slave. What would you think and feel about being a slave and reflecting the behavior of a slave? Even to say that, it's like, well, that's offensive to even bring that word into the conversation and to think about that, especially with our history here with slavery in our country. Most of us would say, my attitude toward that, toward being a servant, toward being a slave? No. (laughs) Nothing in me is drawn to that. Nothing in me wants to be that. That's the very polar opposite of what I want. I am resistant. I am opposed. I am refusing. I am repulsed by that. Like a magnetic force. Everything about being a servant, being a slave. I'm doing all I can in my life not to be that. If you're a Harry Potter fan, everybody wants Adobe. Nobody wants to be Adobe right? But if you're a Christian, if you're looking at this text, what do we do with this passage? That's the question. If you're not a Christian this morning and you're here, we're so glad you're here considering Jesus. Why would you want to become one if this is what it means to be a Christian? And this is what we'll talk about this morning. I think using a couple of visuals and pictures will be helpful as we think about this. These visuals represent two attitudes Uh, two stories that play out and if I could get somebody to turn that monitor on for me I can't see what you can see and we didn't get that turned on this morning so the first one we'll call it up and to the right I'm going to stand down here for a second let's go to that slide is it there Let's see, okay. That's not it yet. I'm looking for my PowerPoint person. Where are they? Okay, upstairs. Do we have that slide? All right, maybe we don't. I'm gonna do my best to describe this slide. And just a note for the folks up there, um, maybe I didn't send them the right file, so. We'll figure that one out. But just picture it. I spent so much time on PowerPoint making these slides. Man, <laughs> dang it. All right, here it is. But they're very simple. So you have a graph, right? X and Y axis. And you have a line moving up and to the right in a very straight line just like that. Okay, that's basically the graph. We'll call it up and to the right. Our mind soar- this is our mindset toward how we want our stories to look. Right? And sorry if you guys don't have it. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll do our best without it. Okay, I think maybe they'll see if they have that file. We'll come back to it if it's available. But the more time I put into life, the more time that goes by, the more energy I put in, into my life, I want things to go up and to the right. Status. My titles in life. My success in life. I would rather be served than be the one serving. All those things we want to see go up and to the right. And there's another picture. There's another attitude. There's another story. And that we would call the J-curve. I didn't make up that term. Economists use the word J-curve. Some people, um, political scientists use this to describe phenomena. And there's actually a book called The J-curve as well by Paul Miller, which is largely based on this passage. And it makes the form of a J, descending down, going to the very bottom, before it rises back up. So if we could imagine here on the bottom, this is what? This is the X-axis, right? You would have God's timing. And the other axis, the Y-axis... Represents, same thing as in the other story, status. It represents success. It represents being served. Instead of being a story or a picture of up and to the right, this is a story of descent. Now, who wants the up and to the right picture to describe their life? <laughs> I do. What about the J-curve? Who wants that to describe their life? We might say, well, it goes up at the end, I want to be there, but where it starts, I'd rather it go like this than go down into a descent. This passage tells us that we are to adopt the same attitude as Jesus, who emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he came as a man, he humbled himself. Our lives and our stories are to be like his. Which is, for most of us, all of us, a whole new attitude toward life. So let's look at this. Two points. Jesus' attitude toward being a servant and our attitude toward being a servant. So let's first look at how this passage describes Jesus' attitude toward the things we want to see in our stories move up and to the right. Status, success, success. And being served. Jesus' attitude towards status. At Christmas time, this is the time where we talk a lot about Jesus, the Son of God, who became a little baby in a manger. And We sung, all the songs we sang this morning were about that, and that's very true. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became human. And he didn't start out as an adult, right? He didn't just pop on the scene he could have. It's like, here I am. You know, I'm 25. Like, where'd you come from? You're 25 years old? How'd you do that? He didn't do that, but he started in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And yes, babies are needy. They're helpless. They are powerless. So they are a picture of humility, but also babies are cute, and we love to hold them. They're valuable. They are cuddly and all that. So we can miss, when we talk about the baby in the manger, the full force of Jesus' descent. Unless we let this passage take us to a whole nother level. Yes, Jesus was born as a baby. Yes, Jesus became a man. But even more than that, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, a slave. In becoming a man, he chose the place at the bottom, he took the status of the lowest class of human possible. A slave, the Greek there is is doulos, it's the word for slave, common word in the culture. No rights. He chose the lowest possible social location, the position of one who takes the orders, not the one giving the orders. He who was and is God and never stopped being God entered our history not as Lord, but as servant. A person without advantages, with no rights or privileges, and servanthood to all. So Jesus' attitude towards status was, what's the best status for me to take? It's the one at the bottom. That way I can serve everyone else who is above me, which is everyone. That was his attitude in becoming man. Wow, who would do that? What about his attitude towards success? Verses 5 and 6 tell us that instead of using his power, his position, his privilege for his own advantage to get to the top and succeed, Jesus uses all these things as a servant to go to the bottom to succeed. It makes no sense to us. A servant is not a success. How is that possible? A slave is not anyone's idea of a successful life and career. But Jesus took the place of servant and slave as the only way he could succeed. He had every opportunity for success on the world's terms. He was tempted to take those opportunities. Others encouraged him. Others expected him to become great, to be king up and to the right, Jesus. That's what we need to do. His closest followers, his disciples, they expected him to take them up and to the right. Numerous times Jesus had to correct them, rebuke them, and tell them, that's not my story. And for all those who follow me, that's not your story either. Do we have the slides or no? We don't have the slides. We do? Okay. Let's move to um, Luke 22. There's a slide. These passages, we read portions of them already in our liturgy. But I'd like for you to listen to these once again. In Luke 22, a dispute arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. Who's going up and to the right, the furthest, and the highest. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not To be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest. And whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater? The one at the table or the one serving? We all know, right? One at the table. Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And again, in Matthew 20, separate incident, Jesus called them over and said, They were arguing about the same topic, who's going up and to the right, the highest and the fastest. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Let's make sure we get this. Jesus does not say, don't be great. Stop trying to be great. Don't be a success. Don't be successful. No. Jesus doesn't say, hey, just be average. That's okay. Just get a C minus. That's fine. He says, be great. You want to be great? Be great like him a great servant. He says, success is to serve. Success, he says, is me giving my life as a ransom for many. That's his attitude toward success. We say, wow, who's like that? Jesus' attitude toward being served. And up into the right attitude says, the more I move up, the less I have to serve others, the more others serve me. So if it's like a bucket, we would say the less... I have to pour out of my bucket the more people are putting in to my bucket of status, of comfort and privilege. This passage says, though Jesus had every right to have this attitude, he didn't. Jesus emptied himself. There's a good deal of debate as to exactly what this means if you look at all the commentaries. I think the best way to understand this is that Jesus Emptied himself. Take it very literally. It doesn't say he emptied himself of something. He did not cease being God. Or empty himself of his divinity. Or his divine attributes. Or any part of his divine attributes. In the whole context we see. Taking into account the phrase. Assuming the form of a servant. It helps us understand what's going on here. It says he didn't empty himself. Of being God. But he did empty himself of his rights as God. His rights to what he deserved as God. What does God deserve? If there is a God who created all things, who made all things, who's given us everything, what does God deserve? To be served. If God shows up in human history, he deserves to be served fully and perfectly without any questions, right? Yet Jesus did not come demanding his right to be served. He didn't say, I am God. Everyone, listen up. Look at all I've done for you. I created you, I sustain you by the word of my power. I uphold the universe, this planet that you're living on, and like it's floating through space. Yeah, I do that. I'm, I provide for all of your needs. I've been gracious to you. I haven't judged you. I've been patient with you, although you've forgotten about me. You've turned your back on me so many times. I've done enough to get something from you by now. He had every right to do that. And isn't that attitude somewhere mixed into a lot of our serving? I've done this for you. What have you done for me? I have a right to be recognized for what I've done here. But no one seems to notice. I've done 50%. You do 50%. After all I've done for you, I've poured out my bucket for you. It's time for you to fill up my bucket. But verse 7 says, he emptied himself. His response to us, not serving him as he deserved, he poured himself out. He didn't pour something of himself out. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, poured himself out, his whole self out for us. And here's where we get to the very heart of Christianity and the gospel, which says we can only be saved by God becoming a servant for us. And this is what makes Jesus different than anyone else. This is what makes Jesus different than anything else, any other belief system or any other religious teacher. He says to us, you don't need me to give you a good example. It won't help you. You don't need me to give you more teaching and a better theology. Just give me the theology of service, Jesus, and I will be a servant. No, it won't help. You don't need me to give you clear directions for your situation. And what exactly you need to do to serve me. You won't do it. You don't need me to give you the threat of judgment. It won't change you. None of this will save you. None of this will change you or make you a servant. Some of this might make you shape up, get your attention. You might serve a little bit more for a time. But you won't become a servant. Only one thing can save you. Only one thing can rescue you from your sin and your selfishness and orienting your entire life around self. You need me to give you myself. Do you see how that humbles us? That takes us lower than any other belief system, any other message? Saying you don't need God to give you help a little bit of grace. You don't need God to give you advice or a swift kick in the pants to get your act together or a second chance or a third chance and then you'll do better. You need God to give you himself. And in Christmas, what we are told is that this is what he has done in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the life of humble obedience we should have lived He died the death of judgment that we should have died for our sins and refusal to serve. And he gives us this life. And he gives us his death. He emptied himself to fill us. And isn't that what love is? Isn't that what all genuine love is? It's saying to another person, I will be emptied so you can be filled. This is the attitude of Jesus toward us. This is the attitude of Jesus toward you. If your faith is in him, you can know that. You can count on that. This is the posture and attitude of Jesus. To allow someone to give you everything means you have nothing to give, right? You have to be broken of your attitude that you can do it that you can contribute something, that you can do something. The gospel humbles us by telling us not only do we not get what we deserve, we get what we could never deserve through any effort, merit, or work of our own. We get the very self of Jesus Christ the one who loved us and gave himself for us. It's only this that breaks the heart of pride that is centered on self and takes us beyond just doing service, doing acts of service, to becoming a servant. So let's talk about that for a moment. Our attitude toward being a servant. When there's... Conflict, maybe in, around you in your workplace or in your home. Conflict between you and other people. When there's a disagreement that you're in, there's a division between people and you're a part of that. When it seems that no one is interested in understanding your rights, your side of the story. When it seems like everyone is just interested in getting their voice heard, but not wanting to hear you. This is when taking the attitude of a servant is the most difficult and yet the most important. And all that that I'm describing is the situation Paul was writing to in Philippi. And I think all that I'm describing right there in that that short description is the world and the culture we are living in right now. Paul says, this is what is most important when you're living in that type of environment. Maybe this is happening in your relationships, in your community, in our culture, all around us, to learn to take the attitude of a servant. So let's look at this new attitude the gospel gives us toward the three things we want to see go up and to the right in our stories. The gospel gives us a whole new story to live into. One, a new attitude toward status. Status equals servant. You know, when, when you're in a company and somebody tells you their title, you get an idea of where they stand, you know, a company or where you are um, in your place of work. You get, there, you get a sense of your status in the company. And the idea, is, if you work for a certain company, is over time you want to go up and to the right. You want to have a higher status and a higher title, right? Higher up the org chart. Did you know what title that all the known New Testament epistle authors use for themselves. There's only one title that they all use for themselves when they were introducing themselves to their readers. And I'm talking about Paul and Peter and James and Jude. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but all these letters of the New Testament, these are the authors. They all use the title Servant. Doulos, bondservant or slave. The slave of God, the slave of Jesus Christ. I never even realized this until this week. Paul started this letter, Philippians 1.1, with that same title. He said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Not Paul, the apostle, called by Jesus, author of more epistles than anyone. (laughs) Starter of the most churches. No. Peter, not, well, one of the closest three disciples to Jesus. Leader of the early church, no, S- servant. John, in the book of Revelation, not, I am the one who Jesus loved. Everyone. He did use that title for himself elsewhere. He said, servant. James and Jude, not yeah, those, those guys were cool, Paul and John and everybody, but Jesus' brothers here, you should listen to us. No, they all used servant doulas. They all chose that status. It's a powerful illustration of how each of them saw themselves. Their title, their main title was that of servant. It wasn't just I'm somebody who serves with some of my time, with my extra time. No, everything I do is service. I am a servant. So for us, whatever, whatever other titles or status we have, we have none as great than Son of God like Jesus had. And Jesus chose this title. So we use those titles. We use our place of status. We live out those titles, whatever they may be, husband, wife, mom, dad, boss, manager, director, teacher, doctor, as servants. This is our primary status, a servant of Jesus Christ, the one who served me. What about our attitude towards success? There's a whole new attitude here in the story of Jesus. Success equals emptying and entering. Have you ever flown first class in an airplane? Some of you? I have a few times. It's, it's really good. It's really good. It's a totally different experience in first class, isn't it? If you have, there's plenty of space, right? Uh, there's someone there serving you drinks, and they're like they're free. Right? You get drinks and snacks, and they're all there. It's really good. They have warm towels for you you can just wash up and feel clean and the best part of first class is that you forget that there's all these other people back there <laughs> in coach you get on before them and you kind of see them walk back there and you get off before they get off and they're all crowded in the back behind that curtain thing and you know you can turn to the other 10 people in first class and say uh I thought it was just the 10 of us on this plane. <laughs> Where' those people come from? Yeah, that's success, up and to the right. Except that Jesus did not stay in first class. But he emptied himself of his rights to serve us. He said that this was success, that this was winning. In another one of his letters, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23. He shared his attitude toward these things. And he said, although I am free from all, I am not anyone's slave. He said, I I belong to Jesus only. I have made myself a slave to everyone. He chose to have that posture, that attitude. In order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those who are under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. To win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. To win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak. In order to win the weak, I have become all things to all people. So that I may, by every possible means, save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel. So I may share in the blessings. Winning. Paul, what's winning? Winning is serving, emptying myself so that others might see Jesus Christ. That's success. That is winning. Just like Jesus, our emptying also includes entering. Christmas is all about the incarnation, God becoming man, the word become flesh, Jesus taking on the likeness of humanity, coming as a man, verse 7, entering into human experience so we could say God knows. He knows the experience of all of us. He's been there, the lowest of the lows, the most difficult of people uh, to love. He's been there. He's tried to love them as one of us. He's entered into that experience. So this means a whole new attitude that success is not getting our way with others, Winning is not others do, uh, doing what we want them to do for us. It's entering in. It's entering in to understand, to feel with, to live inside of the experience of another. This is especially hard for those of us in first class who want to stay and be in first class, to move out, to go into coach to move into the experience and the lives of other people, especially those who are on the margins and who are needy and who have no one willing to empty themselves for them. I want to make a quick note here before my final point. Note, Jesus taking the form of a human servant meant he could not meet everyone's needs at the same time or serve everyone all at the same time as a human being. He became limited one place at one time. He didn't heal everyone or teach everyone or counsel everyone. He didn't even feed everyone. There are limits. That's a part of this passage as well. We're not being called to serve all people in the world at all times. We also, like Jesus and his humanity, have our humanity. And God has called us to a particular place and a particular time, brought particular people into our lives. And those are the people whom we are called to empty ourselves for and to serve. Finally, last attitude shift, serving is greater than being served. Let's be honest. A lot of our serving can be very self-serving. We serve the community to get community service for our college resumes, it's okay. I know, We, we, we do that, it's a part of what we do. We serve on boards and organizations, maybe to get recognition, maybe uh, to get an advantage in a particular community or school or something like that. It's for us. Uh, we serve the needy sometimes out of duty to make ourselves feel better that we are doing our part and so we can say, I'm doing my part. We serve in an organization, maybe we take on a role and say, well, I'm taking on this role so I am not asked to take on any other roles. And We say, I'm already doing this. And it's okay, we all do this, we all, we all navigate these waters of serving but when that's happening in our lives our serving is really us seeking to be served so for the things that don't really serve us that don't give us any advantage that don't do anything for us we say and think sometimes about those things that's somebody else's job let them do it i'm too busy Too important for that. I don't have time to squeeze that into my schedule. Other people can handle that. If they have a problem, well, they got themselves into it. They will have to find their way out of it. I'll only serve those who can give me something back in return. Friends, if this was Jesus' attitude, we would be lost. We would be without hope of restoration to God and restoration to what God made us to be. But thanks be to God, this was not Jesus' attitude. He became a servant. He emptied himself for us. Being humbled, Even to the point of death on a cross. Why? Well, Jesus became a servant so God would be known for who he is. The giving God who gives himself to us even though we don't deserve it. The gracious God that loves us and seeks to fill us up even in our sin and brokenness. This is why Jesus served so we would know God for who he is and we would glorify God for who he is. And it's the same for us. This is why we serve. This is our new attitude. Not so we can get something out of it but so others might get a glimpse and a taste of who God is and the love of God. Of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. That God would give us the strength to do that. Father we thank you. For this passage. We thank you. That you. Decided to serve us. Without that choice. Without that decision. Without that descent. We are lost. And we would be without hope. And so we are grateful, remembering that it was nothing that we did that brought Jesus down. There's nothing we can do to earn our status, to be successful in reaching you. And so you in love came to us. Help us to embrace more and more in our lives that story, that attitude. And I pray for each of us here that you would even bring to mind particular situations, particular people, particular ways that we might take the form of a servant so that they might glimpse and taste more of who you are in your infinite love and goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.